0: Listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guests are Rob Bell and Andrew Morgan. Rob Bell is the author of 10 books, including the New York Times bestsellers What We Talk About When We Talk About God, Love Wins, and What is the Bible. He's been profiled in The New Yorker, toured with Oprah, and in 2011, Time Magazine named him one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Andrew Morgan is an internationally recognized filmmaker focused on telling stories for a better tomorrow. His experience includes a broad range of work that spans narrative and documentary storytelling for multiple film and new media projects that have been released all over the world. Together, Rob Bell and Andrew Morgan have created a new film called The Heretic, The film follows Rob over several years as he challenges deeply held conservative ideals while grappling with some of the most important questions of our time. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Rob, Andrew, and I spoke about spiritual innovation and the ways in which Christianity as a religion is being called to innovate in our time. We also talked about how a spiritual person can find a sense of community without being part of a formal religion. We talked about how Rob lives by following his inner call of aliveness, how he likes to make things and continues to put awe and wonder at the center of his life. And finally, we talked about the connection between pain and art-making— and how we can each respond to the pangs we feel in a creative way in order to make a difference in the world. Here's my conversation with Rob Bell and filmmaker Andrew Morgan. You have collaborated together to create a new movie called The Heretic, And to begin, I'd love to know more about how you met each other and how you decided to make this film.
1: It was Andrew's
2: idea. I had nothing to do with it.
0: (laughs) Andrew, you start then. Tell me how this inspiration came to you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I met Rob a few years ago. Um, We both live here in Los Angeles, and we actually met at a birthday party that our our kids were attending. And um, we started a conversation, and I just, I became really, really fascinated by the work that he was doing. I had grown up in a very conservative, uh, evangelical um, family and area, and I had kind of grown away from most of that. And I, I, I just was really fascinated by a totally different way of approaching some of these same ideas, um, just coming at it from a very different direction. For me personally, that was fascinating. It was also interesting just as a a person beginning to understand just how much of an impact the Christian story and specifically the evangelical Christian story had had and was having on um, America, you know, as a country, as a nation. And I, uh, I felt like a lot of what Rob was putting his finger on was kind of it went right to the heart. some of the conversations and issues that we were really addressing collectively. So I just sat down with Rob and Kristen and I said, I'm not sure what this is going to be. I'm not sure if it's going to work. I'm not sure what it'll turn into, but I'd like the, the ability to just start filming some of these conversations that we're having and some of the work that you're doing and uh, some of the people that are kind of your friends and in your orbit. And um, yeah, that was like in uh, 2015 and that's how we set out. Yeah. And from the beginning,
1: it, it was Andrew's film, and it was really, really important to me that like my wife Kristen and I had no editing power, we had no approval, we had no creative like I had no input, zero, and it had to be like I didn't see the film I saw the film two nights ago at the premiere for the first time. Wow, so it was really to me like if you're going to give somebody access, then you actually have to give them access and then you just have to let them make whatever they're going to make. And however it goes, that's how it goes. Otherwise it's not interesting. And if it, you know, if it bombs, then like bomb big, (laughs) you know
0: what I mean? (laughs) So Rob, what was it like for you watching the film? What was your experience?
1: Totally surreal. It was, I don't, I've gotten to do lots of really thrilling compelling, I mean, I've, 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 I've really, really loved my work and I've gotten to do lots of things that just made the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. But this was like, I mean, and my kids, like with my wife and kids in, in like the third row, just watching the film, I'm still sort of, I guess that was two days ago, I'm still sort of processing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I understand what you're saying about, you know, giving someone free license, come in, it's your film, Andrew, make what you want. But did you feel at some point, wow, this is really a risk. I have no idea how he's going to portray me. Maybe this is an unwise risk.
1: Um, I knew, I was familiar with Andrew's work, and i just listening to what he found interesting. I uh, thought... Um, well, of course it's a risk, but I also, tr- I had some, I, I, some, some sort of deep, deep abiding trust that he understood at some level what I, what I'm doing and that w- it'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if there was a trust in him, mm-hmm. um, and not even like a, oh, I hope I look good, but just, um, a depth of wisdom in him that, um, was really compelling to me. So it goes way beyond, like, how am I going to look and more? um, This is the work I'm doing. If you capture it, um, you know, and a lot of the work is public. You're, like, talking in large groups of people. So if somebody films it, a bunch of people are already there. Do you know what I mean? So if you captured something that was like, oh, that was awkward, well, the awkwardness was in the moment. (laughs) Made it way more
2: fun.
0: Now, you mentioned, Andrew, some of what you were trying to address in the movie in terms of speaking to an evangelical Christian audience. And, you know, coming at it from my perspective as a viewer, someone who would identify more as being in the camp that I think many listeners to Insights at the Edge are in, which is, we're spiritual, but we're not really religious. What can we learn from a film like The Heretic? I got a lot out of it, and I'd like to share some of the insights and observations that came to me and and hear you guys talk about it. One of them is just what it takes to be a free spiritual person in the world today, not encumbered by the concerns of, what do people think about me, and am I going to be acceptable by the church of my upbringing or the tradition around me. And, you know, Rob, I really want to hear more about some of the big decisions you've made in your life to be that kind of free person. You know, you left being the pastor of a megachurch with 10,000 people coming to hear you on a regular basis. I mean, it seems to me that was a huge step to leave that kind of podium. To me, it was
1: Never about religion. I never found religion that interesting. What I found interesting was what it means to be human. What does it mean to be fully alive? What, it, what does it mean to see and taste the fullness and depth of life? So for me, it was always like, it was always about curiosity. It was always about exploration. It was always about the big questions and the big mysteries. So I came out of a tradition, and but, but, but I... I kept following it and where it took me was into the universal, the big universal human questions. Everybody's been asking, like your, like your listeners, how, how do you forgive somebody who's wronged you? Um, how do you figure out what you're here to do? Um, what do you do with those deep desires to make a difference in the world? And then the struggle sometimes and even monotony of everyday life, like how do you keep long-term relationships together? Like these are the questions everybody's asking. So for me, even when I like started a church, that's sort of what you did in the tradition I came from. I, I was never trying to keep people in a religion. I, I was always interested in talking to everybody everywhere about what does it mean to be human. Um, so that's always sort of what's been interesting to me. And if certain people didn't get it or, or didn't find what I was doing helpful, that's fine, it's okay. Um, but I'm more alive than ever. And you're, you're, there were moments I distinctly remember the, the church that you referenced. We started this church when I was 28 by like 30 or 31 years old. There's like 10,000 people. And I distinctly remember these moments when I saw other spiritual leaders who would put on like a, like a game face and say what their institution needed them to say to keep stability and to keep the donations coming in. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Like I watched others develop this and then they'd say to you, man, I am reading. Let me tell you about what I'm reading. It's blowing my mind, but I could never say that because people would think that I'm breaking the rules or I'm, they'd worried that they'd worry that I'm sort of losing the plot. And, and I remember Kristen and I distinctly in our late twenties, early thirties being like, that is not our path, our path, is to follow the questions wherever they take us. And in the, in the, in the movie there, I, I talk about how I, we had that running joke, that if it all fell apart, I'd just go sell shoes. Um, better to be alive and on the path and filled with wonder and awe wherever it takes you than to be one more person who was like, ah, I have good health care. Why would I risk, you know what I mean, disrupting this thing? So that's what it's been like just one long slow evolution just following the next set of questions and I'm having I'm having more fun than ever um, and that's sort of how I've seen it all along and if you actually do take the Jesus tradition seriously, then it takes you into all traditions like Ramdas talks about traditions like a catapult if you take it seriously and it does its job it's like it it thrusts you out into the great collective humanity where we're all asking the same questions about our life together and our care for the planet and what does it mean to go on your own interior path. And that's, that's just what kept happening to me again and again and again.
0: Now, what was it about being the pastor of this big megachurch that came to a point where you had to leave? Why did you leave? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting is, when well, you think about Think about the history of spirituality. People started building temples, and a temple was like a sacred space or a holy space. But the the, the problem with a temple is you need, developmentally, if you think about human development, you need a temple to help you conceive of that which is sacred, holy, and divine. But what a temple does in naming a space holy and sacred is it by default names other spaces not holy and sacred. Those become average and common by default. Um, but the real gift of any spiritual path is how it illuminates for you the holiness and the sanctity of every moment, every breath, every in- an encounter, every conversation. So, what's interesting when you have a 10,000 person temple <laughs> with millions of dollars flowing in is I would stand up there and say, The point isn't this gathering or this big giant thing we built. The point is you living with compassion grounded and centered as a, as a nurse, as a CPA, as a mom, as somebody who's uh, picking up trash, as somebody who's helping with education, like whatever it is that you are doing, it's discovering um, the divine that's present in that. And so, but what happens is you're saying that, but you're talking on a microphone in a giant temple, you know what I mean? (laughs) In a giant institution. And so at some point I kept going, My message isn't come to the temple. My message is the whole world is a temple of sorts. The whole thing is sacred. It's all on fire. And uh, so it was like, oh, wow. In taking this tradition seriously, I have to keep going. So my work now is like I'm doing a club theater tour right now. Um, I'm not in like what you think of as churches or overtly spiritual or religious places. Um, And that's been like the past decade or so, past seven or eight years. I I tour in clubs and theaters, and I'm in spaces that people don't traditionally think of spirit or spirituality in, and I help people see the depth um, and the dimension of spirit that's present wherever they're at. And I'm having more fun than ever.
0: So you broke out of something that started to feel too confining to you?
1: Yeah, what? yeah. Broke out of, or sometimes I say I, I actually took it seriously. You know what I mean? Uh-huh.
0: Like
1: I took it so seriously that it took me somewhere. But yeah, there's a breaking out. Maybe you could also say I just follow it. I followed it where it took me. Um, if you if you if you set out to try to love your neighbor, well, your neighbor who knows who your neighbor may be. Um, and that's when it gets interesting. So yeah, it's like a like a long slow evolution in a particular direction.
0: Now Andrew, you decided to call the film The Heretic, and <laughs> You know, one of the, I thought, implicit nods was to Jesus being a heretic. And, of course, other great spiritual figures, I think people would say that Buddha in his time was a heretic in terms of speaking out against the class system that existed. And, of course, we think of Muhammad as a a prophet, and prophets are often considered heretics of a certain type. So talk to me more about this spiritual figure to be true to ourselves and free how in some sense there's a call to be a heretic
2: yeah i think that's a beautiful point i mean i yeah i think for me i i just feel i, I continue to be very confused about why we value innovation in all shapes and forms we we, we value this idea that the world is moving it's heading somewhere human history is not. It's in motion. And yet some of the great uh, belief systems or institutions that are designed to be guides to help us navigate this world um, seem at many times to, to not value those things and to be very rooted, not just in the past, but be very rooted in these unexpandable ways of looking at reality. And so, yeah, for me, looking at a guy like Rob just like, of course that's, it's of course that the, the, there's going to be a need to challenge and push on these ideas. Like we, we we, it's not like we got to this point in human history and like we made it, you know? It's not like we're waking up in a world where like we've solved all the problems. <laughs> I feel like, you know, religion and spirituality have offered tremendous value to millions of people. They've also done tremendous damage. And to be constantly evaluating where the line between those two things falls and just acknowledging, I think, the humility of what we don't know. And I think that's really something I've seen and appreciated in Rob's work is like, for me, religion growing up was used as a way to uh, consolidate or simplify the world. And I think a lot of what Rob's doing is saying, these are tools and guides and helps to open you up to the bigness of reality. And the reality is that there's so much about the human experience that is mystery. There's so much about um, what it means to be alive, what it means to lose people we love, what it means to be here on this planet, flying through space that is, you know, just such a great question. So to me, to follow and 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 spend time with someone who is asking those questions and just willing to be honest about those questions in the face of what can be stifling certainty, um, brought me to that title.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear from you both more, if you will, about how you might have see the story of Jesus as a story of heresy.
2: Oh,
1: my word. How long is this interview? <laughs> <laughs> well, think about the political symbolism of the meal in the first century, because For a first century Jew, the Roman Empire, the greatest military superpower the world had ever seen, had come in and crushed them. So you have an occupying foreign power. And there were a number of religious Jewish people who said the reason why we have been conquered by another foreign oppressor is because we have people in our midst who are unclean, who don't have favor, who are – the word they used was sinners – and so if we could just get rid of this sort of unclean element in our society, then we could have the divine favor again, and that would have political ramifications because we could throw off our oppressor. So all those passages where it says, and then Jesus dined with the tax collector, and then Jesus dined with women, and then Jesus died with sinner, dined with sinners, the meal was a subversive political act, because when you ate with somebody, you were saying, this person is... Okay, and this person is loved and validated in the eyes of the divine. And to have meals with people, I mean, you could argue Jesus was crucified for eating, (laughs) because every time you read, well, he had a meal with somebody, and you're like, wow, he seems to have been quite hungry. Oh, no, no, those are, that's political theater. He's taking every single marginalized and oppressed group, from lepers, all the way, Samaritans, all the way down the road he's taking every group that's been pushed to the edges, that's been marginalized, that's had their rights denied, who's had their humanity degraded, and he's having a meal with them. Um, this is spiritual performance art of a guerrilla theater. Uh, subversive. I mean, this is just beautiful. And um, you could argue that alone um, would get a person killed. And, So I, I, that, and this is me, I mean, my parents would take us to church growing up and I was always, I found the Jesus stories moving at some deep, deep level of the soul and psyche, whoever had been moved, pushed to the edges, he went out to the edges and embraced and welcomed them. And, and whatever hierarchy had been created, he just insisted that there was another hierarchy based on love and compassion and solidarity. So I, I, I did not come into faith through an intellectual argument or through dogmatism or through, you know what I mean, somebody knocking on the door with a pamphlet telling me I was going to hell or something. I heard these stories and at some level they rang true to me about the nature of the universe we're living in and the, and what it means to be a, a vital, flourishing human being. Um, so even when I first started getting called a heretic, I just didn't, I didn't come into it through a denominational system or through some, even the, the word Christian to me, it was, it was always, I just never found, even the word Christianity always felt sort of bulky and strange because I had had this deep, heart, intuitive experience with the Christ the the universal Christ who everybody across all traditions has spoken of, the force, the glue, the animating energy that moves the whole thing forward and holds it all together. Um, So that's sort of how I came into it. And uh, in some ways that's more alive than ever um, for me.
0: I'm curious, Rob, was there uh, some experience in your youth, like a, an actual moment in time? Or was this just a, a growing sense from your immersion in stories yeah, about that's Jesus? A great question. You know, my dad
1: said to me, I remember one time, like my parents would have people over for dinner of all sort of all varieties of human beings. My parents were very open and welcoming and gregarious. And I remember my dad saying to me, maybe I was in junior high, saying, you know, when we have all these people through our house, and they were always giving to somebody and serving somebody, they were sort of they're sort of larger than life. But I remember my dad saying, you know, after people leave our house, you start asking questions about the conversation we had with them. Um, you have a remember my dad saying you have a curiosity about why people are the way they are and why we do what we do and what it all means. Um, And it's like one of those moments when somebody reflects to you something that you haven't noticed. I think I was just always deeply curious about the depths. Um, And it seemed to me, I have distinct memories, sitting in the back of English class in high school with Scott Reeder. um, (laughs) And I'm like random people come to mind. Watching the thing unfold, the prom queen, the high school quarterback, and feeling like it was surface, like everybody was sliding down the surface of things, like it was all treble, no base. and that there were these larger mysteries and depths to life that was where it was really interesting. Of course, when you're 16, you have no idea what that means. You just are trying to get a good grade in the class. But I think at a young age, I just... Uh, I wasn't content with surface. I, I wanted to understand the deeper realities, the deeper mysteries. So in some ways, I just set out to do that. And I I'm saying, in some ways, I'm doing what I've been doing the whole time. Yeah.
0: Sure, I, I get that curiosity, that questioning, that not being satisfied with the surface. But what made me ask the question was you were describing this inner feeling of a force inside a force of love yeah. you could say me- yeah. meeting a kind of christ consciousness and that's what what yeah. i was also curious about that discovery if you will of of some type of living source of mysterious i don't know you could say answer but mysterious uh love right, in the center right. of your life that's what i want to know right. about you encountering um, that I, I, I,
1: yeah, 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 because I, li- I went to a very competitive high school. I went to a public high school, um, and this is going way back, but I remember everything was hierarchy. There was always somebody who was better at something else. There was always a kid who was better at every class, in sports, in music. I remember a kid telling me, Rob, you weren't invited to that party because you're not popular enough. Um, I remember, it's funny the things you remember, everywhere I turned, somebody was ranking everything and what the, the Christ coming through the Jesus story said was that you have everything everybody is striving for. You already have it. You are loved. There is a grace in the center of your being. There's nothing that needs to be earned. There's no achievement that will, that will ease that ache because Everything you've ever been searching for, you already possess. It's already within you. The kingdom is within you. Um, I just think we remember that being a really beautiful, compelling, strange, unsettling idea in my teens. And that's going way back. This interview, man,
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's good. <laughs> now, 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 Andrew, you said something I thought was extremely interesting. You talked about how in our culture we seem to appreciate innovation, when it comes in the form of technology or other scientific discoveries. We're happy to cure diseases through innovation. But somehow, when it comes to our spiritual or religious life, we want to go backwards in time. We're not welcoming innovation. I think that's really interesting. Why do you think that is, that we don't welcome innovation when it comes to our spiritual life?
2: I think maybe one of the most important questions I would even, I'd go so far as maybe one of the most important questions this century that human beings are going to fundamentally have to wrestle with and discover or um, or, or the story is going to come to a very uh, disastrous end is how do we as people, how do we wrestle with new information or uh, new ideas, new perspectives that might uh, contradict or cause us to expand our own beliefs and assumptions about the world Mm -hmm. um, without losing who we are as an identity, ourselves, our families, our tribes, our countries in the process. I think one of the things that we're realizing is we've come about as far as we can come in this sort of tribalistic, my belief is gonna war against your my way versus your us, them. uh, That kind of thinking Um, really is having very clear now, very stark, very painful um, impacts on on the world. And I think uh, if if you're really being honest, a lot of that goes back to the way we have conceived of religion. And I think um, it, it will just be so interesting to see how we can begin to look at the world. Like, that's so baked into our DNA. That's so baked into the way we wake up looking at the world. That's so the way we were taught and trained and raised, whatever tradition. I mean, a lot of traditions hold this kind of thinking, that it's going to be so interesting to think about the sort of world that we could build moving forward if we begin to say, we can come from different traditions. We can carry different lenses uh, to look at reality through. And at the same time, we can do so without being binary. They don't have to all be mutually exclusive in the same reductive way that we've been handed. Um, So I don't know the answer to the question. I just know that the answer to that question might unlock the next uh, needed, necessary step in in the human story.
0: Now, it's interesting that you talked about how This next step, our 21st century, if you will, spirituality, will break down the divisions between us and them. And when I think of the evangelical Christian traditions in North America, I notice I feel a sense of us and them. You know, I'm a, a liberal meditator. I'm a queer woman. I've been married to my wife for, you know, 17 years. I think of them as them, the evangelical Christians. And I'm curious if you can help me and potentially some of our listeners make a bridge of understanding
2: yeah well i mean i think what you're i think what you're saying is very true and i'm not trying to undercut that reality part of why there's some aspects of the film where you know there's the the gloves are off is that i um i have i have very little patience as a person with uh religious uh, belief systems that cause people to do harm to other people I, i have very little patience in 2018 with um thoughts and ideas and beliefs that look innocent, but actually cause harm and actually are used to do the opposite of what Rob alluded to the Jesus tradition was all about. And so on one level, like, you know, all practices are not equal because some don't value women. Some, you know, hold lines where uh, gender or sexual orientation uh, is an exclusionary factor. So, so that's one part of what you're saying. And in that, that's wrong, and it's okay for that to be called wrong. I think when you go a step below that, though, and you look kind of at the next layer, you realize that that sort of behavior, that sort of thought pattern, to me, is something that is nurture and, and not nature. That is something that is taught. We, I have young kids at home, and I, I really don't sense that we come into the world looking through that sort of grid. Um, I think that's something that we do for a variety of reasons, fear chief among them. So I think, um, you know, it's interesting when we started making the film, we started shooting back in 2015 and uh, then 2016 happened. And as was, I'm, I'm sure your experience as well, I felt like, you know, all the knobs were turned up and all the divisiveness got deeper and all the polarization got more stark and more contrasted. So I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, this stuff's on the way out. It's not really that bad. Like there's really, I'm saying there's a whole thing that really is destructive and it's showing it's true colors. And I, I have no patience for it. it it's not, it's not helpful to, to any of us, but I think there is the possibility for something Um, If we look at the Jesus story, if we actually look at where the tradition came from, if we actually hold it up, as Rob's saying, about an insight and what it means to be human, I think it can take us somewhere that we desperately need to go.
0: So we're in a spiritual revolution in our time. I think that's true, where the traditions are going to have to evolve in order to be relevant. And I'm curious what you both think in terms of the Christian faith, what it can really contribute, that we have to make sure, if you will, that we preserve and hold high.
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, I think you're going to see a move from trying to get people in, trying to get people into the club, because I think for a lot of people, the, the expression of the Christian faith that they were taught is you're right and you need to get other people to be right like you. Um, and I think you're, you're, you're already seeing it in lots of ways but I think you're seeing the birth of an understanding of if you, if your faith is at all effective and doing something to you, it will move you to how can I serve and you can't serve if you don't listen. So I think you're going to see all sorts of people listening in new ways. And uh, you think about even colonization and evangelism in previous centuries, where go to a foreign country and take Jesus to them. Um, and, but I think you are seeing people whose faith and Christian faith is moving to to different places, which is go and listen and find out what's needed and see if there's any way in which you can serve from a place of humility and compassion and solidarity. Mm -hmm. So you've seen that in lots of ways. I mean, and, and I mean, the Jesus story is about death and rebirth. It's about the mystery baked into every square inch of creation Mm -hmm. and, that's a powerful way to think about the world and, and even what it means to be an integrated person who understands our connection to the soil, to each other, to your own interior path. Um, you would, I mean, the number of like now, the number of people in the Jesus world who are talking about meditation and contemplation and the inner path, <laughs> the Enneagram, uh, it makes me laugh how, um, there are just whole movements sweeping um, the sort of Jesus landscape that are really needed and necessary. Like this thing was so hell-bent on getting people into the camp that it didn't teach people about their interiors. And now you have this whole new wave of people realizing that without a rich and humble inner life, you have nothing to say to the world. You wouldn't believe by the you wouldn't believe the fancy pants, famous Christian leaders who come, who want, who want to meet. And I always say they come. At, they come at night. They're like, I don't. Nobody can know that I'm meeting with you. Right. And then they basically say, they basically say, I love your books, uh, but I could not tell anybody that because I lose my job. But man, it's just not working for me.
0: Well, I have to say, I'm, when, I'm happy to hear they're meeting with you. That.
1: You can't believe how many of those well-known, whatever people who have these voices, it's not bringing them joy. It's not working at a personal level for them and their families and their neighbors are all sorts of people different from them. And they're realizing that their neighbors are fantastic people and have the same spirit of life coursing through their veins that they do. And so anytime you see leaders quietly confessing that the whole system isn't working for them, that tells me that, I mean, they they can, they can elect on a president, but that's a death rattle. That's an extinction cough, <laughs> That's the, the, the lie, the death, the dying gasp of something that simply didn't work and didn't deliver.
0: You know, Rob, you, you uh, made this comment that we're in a time where we're hearing a lot of treble notes, but not as much bass. And that you know, was also a line that you say in the movie, The Heretic. And I thought that's interesting. You know, this is clearly from someone who thinks musically and is Absolutely. tuned into the quality of sound. So w- what do you mean that we don't have enough bass in our world today? That something
1: happened with, you know, every, obviously every major new technology has, it extends human capacity and, and does wondrous things, but it always has an underbelly. And one of the underbellies of the internet and these new machines that we can carry in our pockets that connect us with the world is that it fire hoses people now with headlines but the headlines yesterday there was a headline about the parkland shooting but in the exact same size font was a headline about the color of kim kardashian's hair so what's happening to people is people are being fire hosed with headlines that are all the same size font but have very different weight Um, The ancient Hebrews had this word kavod, which was for for business, weights and scales, but it came to have spiritual significance, the weightiness, the gravitas of something. So I think what it's doing to the psyche is it's bombarding the modern psyche with all of these images and phrases and slogans and typography, but it isn't sifting and sorting which of those things actually matter and which don't. And so a person can't bear it at some level. And so all of this noise, I use treble and bass, is it's speeding up. The news cycle now is 17 minutes instead of 24 hours or two weeks. It depends on when the president last tweeted. It's producing great speed and volume. But, that's, but it didn't bring with it the tools or the wisdom to sift and sort what of this matters and what of this doesn't. And, um, I mean, even coming from the white house, lots and lots and lots of things that the government is spewing are of zero consequence. It is just theater. And I think that's why you're seeing this incredible resurgence of, uh, contemplative prayer of spiritual teaching of, I mean, everywhere I go, people are like so hungry Or give me a filter, give me a system, give me a way to ground and center myself so that I can handle all of this. The number of people I um, um, interact with who are leaving their cell phone in their car when they go into lunch in a restaurant, who are turning off their computer at a certain point in the day, um, because otherwise it's all just high squeaks. It's just high-pitched screeches. And what we want are those base notes of love, grace, joy, transcendence. Uh, how to how to sit with our pain? How to listen to the suffering for the new thing that's being birthed in it? Um, so, in some ways, it's awful, and in some ways, it's spurring us um, to new—I mean, uh, to new heights.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very interesting times.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of innovating in this century i'm thinking here rob that you left your role as a pastor of being the head of a community because it was not true for you anymore it was too confining it wasn't where the alive force inside you was taking you and i think for a lot of people a lot of people who identify themselves as spiritual but not religious the big loss they have is the loss of being part of a community being part of some regular gathering of so I'm off on my own, yeah. reading books, I'm right. listening to podcasts like this. Right, but I don't. I'm not exactly sure what community my kids and I are going to be a part of. So right. I'd, I'd be curious because you mentioned how you both met through your children. So you're both family people. Where does a spiritual person find inspiring community if it's not in a church?
1: That's such a great question, and it's interesting. I have been nowhere in the past couple in the world in the past couple of years that somebody didn't ask that question. Every, like I'm on tour right now, and every single night somebody asks that question, anywhere I am. Um, And uh, so I always begin with the power of the meal and how many people looked to a community to organize their connections and what I'm observing is people who are just doing that themselves now. They're literally just inviting random collections of people into their homes and saying, we all are resonating at some level with some new thing that's happening. Let's at least start eating together. Let's, let's, let's read that book together. Let's listen. I mean, the number of people who are listening podcasts weekly with a group of people and having a meal and then discussing it. Um, so I'm seeing all of these new expressions being birthed where people aren't waiting for someone else to say, meet next Wednesday at seven. They're just doing it themselves. Um, which is obviously very interesting because in the New Testament, the Jesus movement started in living rooms. It started as, um, I mean, it started as these sort of ragtag gatherings of people who are all hungry for similar things. So I'm seeing lots of people are simply doing these, um, doing the organizing themselves. And I've also noticed when you're part of the tribe of your origin, there are all of these assumptions about the bonds you have with others. Well, we're all, of this religion. We're all from this town. We all come from these families that know each other. So I guess we're all just in this together. Um, but then when you lose that tribe, you're lonely. But when you do meet up with somebody who you resonate with, you, you hold that resonance. You cherish it so much more. Um, literally you would laugh, people will come to my events and say, I came to hear you, but I came to hear who else came to hear you in my town. I've done events where somebody would stand up part like at the end and invite everybody who was there to their house afterwards. (laughs) Cause they're like, these are the people in my town who are resonating with this. Let's, let's keep going together. Um, which I think is really interesting that what people used to almost farm out to an institution, they're now just doing themselves, which is almost this unexpected thing that's happening of intention where people are like, wait, who, who is my tribe? What does it look like? Um, but I always, always, always that loneliness, um, I mean, if you look at all the great traditions, Once you see, you can't unsee. Once you taste, you can't untaste. Once it's out of the box, you can't jam it back in. And generally the ones who were waking up, I always say they walked with a limp um, because you've seen what's possible and the dominant center of gravity of consciousness around you hasn't seen that. And so there's a loneliness and a lot of people weren't taught that they were taught you're in, everybody else is out. Here's how we get the people who are out in, Um, but they weren't taught if you grow and you keep things keep expanding, if you stay on the path, there will be chapters of loneliness. Um, a lot of people just weren't prepared. No institution will tell you that because institutions bend towards self-preservation. You know, it's it's like (laughs) the institution is never going to say, Hey, you might outgrow this. (laughs) That's that's not good for the, the bottom line. Um, but you might, you might have to keep going. And might, certain things you might have to leave behind. A lot of people weren't taught that. And when they're told that as painful as it is, in my experience, people go, Oh, cause they know it's true. Um, and there's some strange comfort in that.
0: And now, I just want to make sure I understand something, this metaphor of limping, that's the loneliness that can come from leaving. Well, the there, familiar in the tribe. Yeah.
1: there's an ancient, um, there's an ancient Jewish midrash on the story of Jacob when he wrestles the angel by the river. Jacob, in the book of Genesis, he he wrestles the angel, um, and then he's almost like re-given his identity, and then his hip is injured. And so there's the, the rabbis go crazy with the story because it's such a weird story, but they talk about Jacob, from then on, he walked with a limp, but it's a limp because he had experienced the divine. <laughs> such a weird, fantastic story. And then the Midrash, the commentary on it, but this idea of you, you've you had these experiences of fullness and depth and transcendence um, and not everybody around you, maybe not all your family members, maybe your partner, maybe your whatever, they didn't see what you saw. They didn't have the same experience um, and you have to follow it and keep going but with it. Like they, It's like essentially the hero's journey. You had to leave the village and go into the woods because um, the life was leading you and calling you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's where the, the limping pain comes from, this ancient tradition, which always I find, I find it funny and strangely comforting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's odd maybe that I'm that interested in this, but I'm going to keep going for a moment. I think sometimes yeah. there's this idea that when you've had a deep, contact with spiritual reality then the next thing that happens is you have wings you're flying free like you're you know you're an awakened person what do you mean i'm walking with a limp really right
1: right 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 and you think about uh, um you rarely like i always joke you rarely see a guru with swagger you know what i mean you rarely see the mystic is is rarely like i got this i'm i'm dominating you know what i mean like we just don't think it Cause, because there's a certain humility that comes with growth and, and your own evolution. Um, and, and for a lot of people, it's like, oh, if you figure it out, don't you have like a triumphant, don't you have sort of a victorious, um, sort of proud? Uh, well, no, because with that comes your burden for everybody. You want everybody else to have seen what you've seen and that doesn't often happen. Um, and so, so no, the, it's like you look at all across the traditions. The, the, the wisest ones had like a, they had an ache for their fellow humanity, for their brothers and sisters. Um, they wanted everybody to wake up at some level. I think that's, it's like, a, I did this event with Dalai Lama and Bishop Tutu, and I was so struck, I was expecting, these are two people who have seen some, some of the, we're suffering, the, the world can hand out. And I was expecting it to be a heavy. I was expecting them to be like, man, it is, it is rough out there. But when they met, they were standing right in front of me when they met. They hugged each other and then they started tickling each other and giggling. <laughs> I did not expect it to go that way. Um, and they were, I call it the light after heavy. Um, there was a lightness about Dalai Lama." Um, at one point, they asked him a question and he paused. I swear he was silent for 30 seconds thinking. And then he looked up and he said, I don't know. <laughs> and he was so funny. And there's the light that is oblivious and ignorant. There's then there's the heaviness that you move into, where you become aware of just what's, what human beings can do to each other. Um, but then that was my first experience with the lightness that's on the other side of heaviness that they pushed through the heaviness and realized, well, you do have today and you can see the good and the joy in today. Um, and so, it, so at some level, it, it's not this triumphant, man, we're winning. We're going to take this town. You know what I mean? It's not this
0: uh,
1: triumphant imperial thing. It's this humble, grounded, convicted. Um, It's like you've absorbed uh, the the South American Indians have this phrase, you make room within yourself for the immensities of the universe. Um, You don't deny the the, the pain and heartache, you've just made room for them within yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. And this brings me quite beautifully to the final thing I really wanna talk to both of you about, which is the connection between art-making and being creative, which you both are intensely beautiful creators, and being in touch with our suffering. And I was reading, Rob, some about your book, Drops Like Stars. Oh, yeah. You were looking at how instead of focusing on how a God could allow us to suffer the terrible things we humans suffer. Instead, we could see the gifts that come from suffering, the creativity, the empathy, the vulnerability. And I'd love to hear, for both of you, how, in your own life, you understand this connection between suffering and art-making.
1: Oh, yeah. You, You know... Um, I've always been struck with how the word pain, P-A-I-N, sounds a lot like the word pang, P-A-N-G, and they're just a couple letters off, but to me, that's the path is in your pain, ask what new thing might be birthed in even this, and uh, this is, this is painful but what does it look like to see it as a pang, like a birth pang instead of just a pointless random exercise in human misery? um, What's, what is spirit looking to do to give birth to? Because when I ask people like, what do you know? What are the four or five, like think about your listeners, what are the four or five moments or experiences or events of your life that most shaped you into the person that you are, that most created your spinal fortitude and your gratitude people, whenever people are given just a blank slate to talk about what most shaped them, they usually talk about suffering, loss, betrayal, and pain. Nobody ever says, you know, I got a new pickup truck and then everything changed. You know what I mean? <laughs> nobody tells us a story. They're boring. And nobody, the story, nobody believes I went to Hawaii. And then it was like, from then on, you don't even know. What I mean? no. It's like your dad died. You got cancer. You lost your job. And suddenly it woke you up. Um, And all that pain turned into a pang. It turned into a, I think that's like, it's almost like a muscle that you learn to over time so that sooner, sooner you're in the mess, you find yourself going, wait, 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 wait. I know this is bad. I know this is tough. I know this is unexpected. This is excruciating, but what I've learned is that there's probably some new thing lurking here somewhere. So you gotta get it out, you gotta be angry, you gotta beat your chest, you gotta shake your fist, you gotta you gotta give it all its expression, as any healthy spirituality would tell you to. But then you start looking, like, okay, so what is lurking in even this? What new thing? And that to me, that's the path.
2: Well I would it always what it always makes me think about too, is it always creativity kind of always reminds mm-hmm. me that the world is not this inevitable thing. Like it's not this story that we're standing on the sidelines watching on oh. that human history is made up by choices and it doesn't just, um, you know, we don't just, we don't just naturally slide towards, um, the, the kind of future that we want. Human beings do that. And I think when you create, for me, it's a way of taking, um, you know, you don't choose the world that you come into. It is the way it is, but you, you're you here and, and you have this little life and you have this little, you have a couple of things you're good at, a couple of things that bring you joy when you do them. And uh, it, it's this constant reminder to me that, um, you know, we're, we're still in a story that has to continue to unfold and move forward. Um, and when you create as simple as, you know, um, you know, when we make a film or something like that, it, 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 it's like, I feel caught up in the flow of something bigger, I think, because it feels like me as one small little person taking part in what's happening. I get to stick my toes in the river. Like I get to contribute. I get to make a choice or a couple of choices that, that cause, um, something different to happen. You know, that's, that's wildly mysterious and, just fun it's it's <laughs> it's the most fun thing about being alive to me oh that's so well
0: said. one of my favorite lines in the movie and I don't know how many other people will pick up on it but towards the very beginning you're asking Rob to describe himself introduce himself to the viewers and Rob you say I make things and <laughs> I just, I loved that so much in terms of it just saying right there, the power we have to be creative human beings who make a difference and, you know, I make things. I loved that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I also, whenever people ask me, uh, it actually is how it works for me. Um, I don't have some grand plan. I think a lot of people think about like, okay, well, how do you figure out your grand plan? How do you figure out there was never a plan or people will talk about their career and I'll start laughing like career. What's that like? It's like to have a career. All I know is I have this thing burning in me to make and I'm going to make it. And then after that, there'll be a couple more ideas and then we'll make that. That's where the juice is. That's where the life is. That's where the mojo is. You wake up and hopefully, I mean the, the dream is that you have this sense of wonder and awe that you get to do this today. It's, That's how I see it. That's where the life is.
0: And then finally, what do you hope will be the ripples from the film The Heretic? What do you think hope will come from it?
2: I mean, I think there's a a lot of different people coming from a lot of backgrounds that will see a film like this. And I, I just hope that it makes people feel less alone. I, I hope that it makes people feel, you know, whether, whether the spiritual conversation, the God conversation, religious kind of conversation of any kind, whether that's just totally um, not, not an option for someone, whether they're just repulsed by the whole notion of that, or it's someone who um, grew up in a very strident, strict kind of tradition, and it, it, it didn't keep up with the complexities of the world they find themselves in. Um, Or if someone's in a very uh, particular tradition, I hope it just opens people up to this idea that the human story that connects all of us is so much bigger than some simple labels, categories, definitions, tribes, and that there is a whole lot of life waiting for anyone who chooses to not abandon where they came from, not leave behind the tradition that helped them get to where they are, but that they can continue moving on that path. They can continue growing. um, And and I hope along the way they can look around and see that there's a whole lot of other people that will join them on that journey. (sighs) Nice one.
0: That's good. (laughs) Rob, anything to add?
1: Well, it was his idea. (laughs) Uh, To me, that uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel said, I didn't ask for success, I asked for wonder, and God gave it to me. I think there's this big, gleaming, technologically advancing modern world in which lots of people played by the rules and they went and got educated and they got a job and then they got a house and they're like, they're they're following the rules and, but it's not actually bringing them the wonder and awe, um, that is at the heart of what it means to be human. And I think you, you do, you organize your life around the wonder and awe and you take whatever steps you need to. Um, and if any, I mean, if some small way my work helps people take seriously the wonder and awe, Um, that, I mean, that, yeah, that would be amazing. That would fill me with even more wonder.
0: Well, in a nutshell, I just want to say, I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I've been talking with Rob Bell. He's the author of many books, including Love Wins, What is the Bible, How to Be Here, and What to Talk About When We Talk About God and documentary filmmaker Andrew Morgan, who has created a new film about the work of Rob Bell called The Heretic. And if you want to watch the film, you can access it online through iTunes or Amazon, and it's super worth your time, because in my view, we need heretics. We always have, and we especially need them now in our world. That's my own little caveat statement here to make. Thank you both so much. Much, much love. Wonderful talk to you. Thank you. Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.